The Start On Demand. On demand. We got some fresh air today, live on location at 201 Portage Avenue for a full day of programming outside at Portage in Maine. Decision 2019, your voice matters. We had much to discuss with Manitoba NDP leader Wab Canoe, Manitoba Liberal leader Dougal Vermont, and President and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, Chuck Davidson. We also talked about cyclists on the sidewalk. Many people are frustrated with bikes on the sidewalk, but for many cyclists, it's a safety issue to use the road. And Miss Christine saves the day. We'll meet a Winnipeg woman who hails from Jamaica and is getting ready to open the city's first ever authentic Jamaican street food restaurant. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, August 14th podcast for The Start. We are on location. They sent us out into the wilderness. <laughs> I feel different. Like I'm outside. Like I'm breathing differently. Yeah. Like I'm only used to being outside <laughs> for golf and that's it. Otherwise, I'm sitting on a couch. If you have a sleeping bag in the back of your car, please drop it off. Portage and Maine. It's Come a little on. Well, chilly you're, out you're here. You wore shorts this morning, Well, it my will warm up and I like to wear shorts for as long as I can, no matter what day of the year it is, quite frankly. I am a little chilly this morning. Greg's rocking back and forth right now. He's like (laughs) hugging himself. I'm doing the old rock back and forth like you do at a bomber game in November to kind of keep the blood flowing to the extremities. But it is a beautiful morning. The blue sky starting to appear to the east. We're right across from diametrically opposite Portage Avenue and Main Street from the Bank of Montreal building. Source of lots of conversation last week. And this morning we want to hear from you because... Your voice does matter. Come on down here. We're going to have Speaker's Corner set up so that you can tell us what the most important issues are in this Manitoba election decision 2019. And I'm just as as we look at the Bank of Montreal building, as much as I enjoy looking at that sheet of tinfoil we have in our studio, <laughs> which makes our studio look like a grow-off yes. uh, that they put up to block out the sun in case there's a video camera in the studio, this view is Really nice, and I, I hope it's not too distracting. I'm sure there's going to be a point where Forte, back in Master Control, says, okay, guys, go, and we're all just kind of like <laughs> staring at the flowers. Once again, I stuff. get the bum view. Like, I, I don't get to see anything. Choose, I got no view. Your spot. I have no view in the studio, and not that I don't think you guys look great, but now I'm just staring at you two. Thank God Mike's here. Why don't and, we sit over? Why don't we move you over there? Yeah, we can. We can flip. This I might around. have to flip around so yeah. I get this view with you. We don't guys. want the TV guys freaking out though. We yeah. start moving stuff around, they freak out. <laughs> but it's the kind of day, you know, like you're. I was driving downtown. Different kind of drive in. Different day we're going to have being live on location, talking about uh, why your vote matters and the issues to you. And I kind of felt proud. Like you, you know, this is the time of year. Your city's looking good. It's pretty out there. You've had a great summer. You're kind of feeling good about things. And you want to keep that momentum going. You want to move forward. Yeah, I'm thinking you want to move forward <laughs> as I'm looking at some of the top 10 slogans of all time. And oh, I was wondering, where did the PCs go wrong? They just, you know, went, somebody said, oh, here's a great slogan, moving Manitoba forward. Nobody caught on to the fact that the NDP used that in the last campaign. Or they were totally fine with it. Uh, how about this? Uh, instead of Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions, Manitoba, Breakfast of Champions. I guess that doesn't really work. What are the top ten? You've got it in your hand there. I want to. I want to know. You want to know are. the top ten? Yeah. This is according, obviously, to a select group of people. Nike, just do it. Okay. Yeah, Voted sure. the number one slogan of all time. Yep. Kit Kat, have a break, have a Kit Kat. Or give me a break, give me a Kit Kat break. Nab, do you want to sing it? Well, it's just you know everything comes back to the office for me. So there was that episode where Andy could not remember the end of give me a break, break me off a piece of that. And then he couldn't remember the end. So he was like, fancy feast, <laughs> double treat. And he couldn't, he couldn't remember that oh, it was Andy. Kit Kat bar. So, yeah, that was a good slogan. How about got milk, got Manitoba? Yeah, that's okay. a good one. That, got yeah. Manitoba. Or we got Palister. Might have, you could do that way. M&M's. We like M&M's. Yeah. Uh, melts in your mouth, not in your hand. I don't know how you turn that into a political slogan. The beer's a diamond is forever. 
the conservatives are forever. You could go something like that. <laughs> Avis, <laughs> we try <laughs> harder. That changes, that doesn't work. Just we try harder. You could just, just go that. Plus, like it, that. It, that could be, if you wanted to make it like an evil one, it could be, the conservatives are forever. <laughs> well, you, you could do it on the other side, <laughs> right? It could, an anti- atta- it could be an could attack. Be an anti- so, it could. How about Las Vegas? What happens here stays here. Okay. Yeah. What happens in Manitoba stays in Manitoba. Yeah. Mm. What's born in Manitoba stays in Manitoba. The best a man can get, Gillette, number 10. So maybe they did okay with Manitoba. Well, they. Forward. it's funny. You can head to our website. We've got the story up, globalnews.ca, cjob.com. But this is day three of the campaign. Yesterday, it coughed up a recycled slogan, which we discovered the PCs had used, moving Manitoba forward. Same slogan the NDP used just, what, three years ago? And then there's also some attack ads that came out that used a uh, pretty choice word. Well, they didn't use the word. They, they almost, they, they, they implied tried, the word. They implied the word, and not once, but twice in 30 seconds. That's cheeky. Yeah, and actually, and Jeff, and we're, we're, we're going to coach our, our producer back in the studio on the fly here, Jeff Forte. If you go into production, there's a, there's a spot that is labeled the Brian Pallister attack ad or something like that. And if you want to let us know when you've got it, uh, you can fire it up. But, yeah, I was surprised when I saw it because I saw the ad on TV the other day, but I didn't have the sound up. Mm -hmm. So I saw that it was an NDP ad. And then, McNabb, when you were talking about it this morning, I was quite stunned at that. You don't hear this word, and some might say it's not a swear word. It's not allowed in my house, largely because I don't want my kids using this word. But, yeah, what shocked me was not the message behind the ad, but just the last millisecond. Yeah, like I say, not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly an acknowledgement that it's a word that a lot of people choose not to use in their homes. They use it on friends and they use it on Young and the Restless now, but they never used to. It used to be considered a swear word, uh, ASS. Yeah, and I, I, Richard Cloutier was talking about it in his a Decision 2019 podcast. We, he was speaking to people who said they don't like this culture of attack ads. It's an American style of politics, and it continues to infiltrate Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I personally, not a huge fan, but you can let us know what you think, 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text. You can email. That's the one, Fortier. You can play that. Here we here comes the ad. But it isn't us. What an app. Our roads are such a disaster. And you know why? Brian Pallister. He cut the roads budget by 40%. I mean, who's he working for? Such. Such and blank. Such a blank. Yeah. So that's that's early. We're, we've got a uh, good four weeks left of this campaign to have we're that g- kind of stuff come we're, up. We're going to have Wab Canoe here we're, at we, 8.05, So right? we'll ask him about that. I want to ask him about the fact that they're depicting this woman on a city of Winnipeg street. Mm-hmm. And did the Pallister government cut $40 million of street spending? I know that the city contends that. I want to know about Wab's math and how he gets to that number and how he justifies the statement and the claim in that in that commercial i want to talk about biking on sidewalks what's happening here mcnab well i think we've probably all encountered this you're walking down the street and a bike whizzes past you when you're trying to use the sidewalk well as far as some in the city are concerned and i i don't doubt it's a problem in other major cities brandon you see it in small towns the problem of bikes on sidewalks is growing worse. Global's Merrick to catch now with why cyclists might be choosing to get off the road. It's an unwelcome sound for most pedestrians. It can be annoying, like, you know, you're walking along and somebody's dinging at you and then somebody's dinging at you again. Mark Coho with Bike Winnipeg says it's a problem that isn't going away anytime soon. One of the things we hear most frequently from people that are biking is they simply don't feel safe uh, riding on the streets with traffic. A stretch notorious for people biking on the sidewalk is on the Osborne Street Bridge. They have a bike lane and then it stops and you get, you get danger of getting hit by a car if you, because the bike lanes in the city also just, they just halt. Coho believes the answer is building more protected bike lanes. Especially where maybe you can have parked cars in between the, the, the bike lane and the traffic. That, that provides that sense of safety. You can be hit with a $113 fine for riding your bike on the sidewalk, but that doesn't seem to be changing too many people's minds. 
sometimes you just haven't got enough room on, on the road. Sometimes it's scary to drive on the roads, never mind biking. I've biked on the roads before and there's been a lot of close calls, so when I bike, I bike on the sidewalk. And with just a few months left of warm weather, a solution doesn't appear imminent. So you'll keep riding on the sidewalk? I will. Merrick Tikash, Global News. So the Winnipeg Police Service says it hands out about 100 tickets per year to people who ride on sidewalks. I'm sure we see far more than that. Uh, I don't know how they crack down on that. Well, I mean, they don't have resources. They don't have the first resources. Of all. For that's that. the, that, for me, that's the prominent thing. And the other is when you're driving, and it's not all about. How cars. many times have you said, "Go get on the sidewalk"? You're no. annoyed with the cyclist. No, I hate it because you do your look to the left, look to the right. And those cyclists are moving 10 times the speed of a pedestrian, and then boom, all of a sudden there's a cyclist there. It's super dangerous from that point of view. In a city where the cyclists and the motorists don't necessarily get along, more separated infrastructure is the key. And Turkey Rob, this is what he calls himself, <laughs> complete with the turkey uh, emoji here, says, when I'm cycling, if I'm just giving her on the road. I obey stop signs, but wow, people almost hit me every day. It's scary. So when I'm out and just bobbing along, I'll stay off the street and get out of the way of pedestrians and relax. Sounds like he's pretty chill. Bowman, oh, I can't read that. The traffic is horrible, so for me and my giblets, it's just safer off the streets. Hmm. So a lot of people think that this is the key to their safety. And we've seen in other cities, if you look down Portage Avenue, my grandfather used to say this all the time, the sidewalk's like 10 meters wide in some places. Surely we could find a way to divide off and to segregate part of that infrastructure. There are cities where they do that, where right? they, the sidewalk is turned. I think it's Minneapolis might have a few downtown. The streets are wider, so the sidewalk is actually divided so that on one side's pedestrians other side is the bikes and then everyone feels a bit safer i know for me I, it's a struggle now too because for years you're telling your kids to stay on the sidewalk because they're little and learning to Which ride is totally the bike, allowed right? by the way so you want them to do that and now you're at the age where you need to properly teach them to bike on the road but i'm so nervous all the time so we only ever do it if we're in like a at the lake or a smaller community but i i don't know what i'd do if i was with my kid downtown winnipeg one of our listeners texted us suggesting that uh, they need to fix the bike lanes and or make them better. Yesterday, we got an amusing picture from one of our listeners who said, is this kind of sign overkill? It's a new bike lane over on Gary where it was just sign, sign after, after sign. sign. <laughs> right. It, it's one of those um, divided bike lanes with cement barriers up, and then it looks like 40 different signs. Don't forget bike lane. Don't forget bike lane. Bikes to the left. Bikes to the left. And so it was a good example, Greg. Is always really big on active. Greg's always really big on active transit, and so he's had walked on over there to see if he can sort of describe to us what's going on and why, and whether or not anyone's even using it. But it's a good example of if you have to put up that many signs and that many barriers on a very short stretch of block, we really aren't getting how to use those lanes and drive around those lanes if that's the kind of signage we have in place. It's a great educator. But I still find myself confused coming down in these new bike lane areas because I'm really not sure what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I uh, I like that we are adding these bike lanes, but it does Agreed. add some confusion, especially if you want to turn right and there's a bike lane to your right. And if there's a cyclist in that lane, and I guess this is just basic driving 101, I, I'm not sure who has the right of way. Does the bike have the right of way and then I have to wait? Or does the is the, the cyclist supposed to wait? Um, but it, if you... Greg is now on the phone, we're told. He is. He walked over. We're at 201 Portage. Greg, you're over on Gary now? Yeah, I'm on Gary Street, uh, Brett and Loren, between Portage Avenue and Graham Avenue. And you guys are doing a great job of what they've done here. This is a two-way bike lane. Even though Gary Street is a one-way heading south from Notre Dame all the way to Assiniboine Avenue, they built this bike lane. But it's not a single bike lane. It accommodates bikes going in both directions. So I think that might be why these signs are in place, because you could conceivably drive a car down this bike lane. Uh, so I don't know if these signs are an indictment of engineering and the way that they've decided to implement these signs, or more an indictment of how Winnipeggers drive, looking for any open space whatsoever uh, on their commute. But it's a quite an impressive 
uh, bike lane here, guys. And the whole idea is obviously to create uh, some sort of north-south connectivity throughout the downtown. It goes all the way from Notre Dame, which has a brand new bike lane on it in sections of the downtown. You've got parts of the Exchange District. You've got McDermott and Bannatyne, which have recently had bike lanes added. And then, of course, you've got the bike lane that goes east-west all along Assiniboine Avenue. So it's creating a little bit of a connected network for a change. Well, we know from different studies done that so much of the biking is done downtown, not just with your couriers who are doing important business, but people who try to encourage to be living downtown are also being told to, you know, it would be good if you got on your bike. So you have to create that network to make that work if you want people to live, work, and not use their car downtown. Well, I mean, in a city where the contention between uh, motorists and cyclists, and, and you might be one, the other, or both, is so there's so much vitriol between these groups of people. I can't imagine why uh, motorists wouldn't want more separated active transportation, bike lanes, whatever you'd like to call them. Uh, it will limit the interaction that motorists and cyclists have with one another. So uh, the more of this, the better. But it's got to be done right. Otherwise, cyclists are not going to use it. They're not going to feel safe. We heard in the news today the idea that some of the bike lanes that have been constructed on constructed rather on Pembina Highway, not super popular with people. If you don't feel safe, you're plain and simply not going to use this infrastructure. Would you use that bike lane, Greg? I would. I'd like to see more of these. Uh, I don't know how Mark Coho of uh, Bike Winnipeg feels about these ones, but there's about a two-foot curb between the two through lanes southbound on Gary Street here. Uh, that separates. Uh, there's there's got to be a, a great deal of comfort in terms of using these bike lanes. I, I'd, I'd give them for sure a B, if not a higher grade. The only problem is all the access points that cut across the bike lanes into parking lots in particular, which is where you're seeing these signs to tell people to uh, get right of these, uh, these, these concrete curbs. Well, and you talk about that vitriol as well, Greg. Uh... I know that I have kind of a love-hate relationship with cyclists because so many of them, and, and I, I don't want to say all, but there are many who just have zero regard for the rules of the road. They run stop signs, they run red lights, and yet they want you to share the road with them. Um, so if we can create this, continue to create this dedicated cycling infrastructure, and then we can all learn to get along one day, hopefully. Uh, do you, but do you ever foresee a day where that's going to happen? I don't know. It's got to be a commitment. And I just, I know it's a commitment from certain city councillors. I think the mayor's got the commitment. And there certainly are enough advocates that are making noise that we try to give voice to that want to see this happen. Uh, I don't, there's still that sense from a lot of people that, you know, people are only going to bike in the summertime or that it's only three or four months of the year. I, I look at it this way. Do we build a city do we not have outdoor pools in Winnipeg? Do we not do things that are only usable in summertime or when there's no snow on the ground? I could give you dozens of examples of things that we do regardless and ignoring the fact that we have three or four months of very cold weather with, with snow. I, I think cycling and, and cycling infrastructure should be in that pile of things that, that we do do thinking about the eight months of the year where they are usable. As this election takes shape, what is going to be the thing that decides your vote? A lot of people talking health care. I think the one that might beat it out, depending on where you live, is crime. So before the election campaign officially kicked off Monday, politicians were already throwing out a bunch of ideas on their plan to deal with the meth crisis in Winnipeg and Manitoba, which has been blamed in part for a huge increase in crime. But whether this election comes now, whether it comes later, the fact remains it's been a problem for months, some might argue years. And so the plans on how to tackle the meth addiction, as far as some are concerned, have come far too late. So while we're waiting for strategies, waiting for promises, waiting for that vote in some neighborhoods like Windsor Park and St. Boniface, they're not waiting. Crime is slowly taking over their neighborhood. Any time that we had forgotten to leave to lock our doors, they were gone through. The cars have been gone through. 
they've had thieves rifle through their cars. Vandals smash the windows on a pair of bus shelters down the road. It's just happening a lot more frequently and there's just more damage being caused more often. But as Christopher Whitaker and Corrine Delanois share their concerns over coffee at a local community club in Windsor Park, they're eager to stress this is not yet a neighbourhood in crisis. It's why they're talking. They're trying to keep it that way. There has been one person in the, in the community that had discovered uncapped used needles in their mailbox. Like someone put them in there? Someone put them in there, yes. And that, that is very, very concerning. Especially as a father of a 10-year-old kid who likes going outside to check the mail and doesn't have the forethought to look in the mailbox before he sticks his hand in there, that is extremely concerning to me. Windsor Park snuggles up to Fermor Avenue at the south end, the CN line to the east. There's green space, golf courses, a mix of older and some newer homes, and yes, meth. Like most Winnipeggers, they understand the threat it poses. The status quo is putting tremendous strain on police and paramedic and frankly our hospital emergency departments. We need some relief sooner than later. Like it or not, their community has seen its share. Between 2017 and 2018, property crime in St. Boniface alone jumped 55%. The biggest spike in Winnipeg. You know, from healthcare to roads to crime to whatever, where do you rate this issue? It's a top priority for me as a parent. Um, like your number one concern would be crime, property crime, yeah. those kinds of things? Yes, yeah, definitely. Because nothing's been done about it in the past few years. And, so and it just keeps increasing, increasing, increasing. Yeah. A drug crisis, a mental health crisis, and a Winnipeg police service stretched far too thin. Everybody has become complacent, and that has become a major issue. Do you feel like your premier's taking it seriously, or your MLA, or whoever's in your area? Um, I think... They've looked to politicians for answers, but before they vote, say they will also look to one another to see if they can't inspire some change. Next month, Windsor Park will join the growing list of communities to host a crime forum and try to launch a Citizens on Patrol. I strongly, strongly believe that a community presence of patrollers in the neighbourhood will deter the petty property crime that's happening. I really do, I honestly do believe that, that just the presence of the citizens on the street will diminish the property crime. And he's not alone on that. I was talking to the, the citizens, citizens on Patrol Group has run through MPI. They were saying to me yesterday they've gotten more phone calls on this. They now have done four of these community forums in the last two months. So, And that's just in Winnipeg alone. A lot of neighborhoods really concerned about this. And so that ha- has me thinking that the very least crime is right up there for people when it comes to their concerns in this election. I think a lot of us have had the conversation at the community mailbox or on the driveway in between cutting the the grass or chores with our neighbours, but to have a formal meeting and to get together and hear the stories I think is powerful and to have a plan to combat what's going on is a big one. Just in our little informal meeting we had a few weeks ago on the front street, there was about six of us, and I just said, hey guys, just one thing I might suggest. I always leave the outside lights on, but I feel like I'm the only one on this stretch of our street. Maybe we should be leaving our lights on. And everybody said, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. So it's little things, Mm -hmm. conversation, opening each other's eyes to what's going on in the neighborhood because you don't always know. And maybe just giving one another advice on, on the little things that you and I might be able to do to combat what's going on. Well, both the people in that story we just played said they did put up a light. He had a shed broken into. He's had his car rifled through dozens of times. He put up a light about six weeks ago. Hasn't had it happen since. Now, is it just luck? Maybe. But little things can make a difference as we wait to, to find a way to tackle it on a bigger level. If you need an owner's manual to just about any appliance ever purchased in Canada. I have it in stock somewhere in my house. (laughs) Yesterday I had to find the boys' birth certificates and I thought they were one of two places. I was certain I knew where they were. Looked the first place. No, okay. Went to the other place. Not there. So bin after bin, filing cabinet, file folders, all sorts of, long story short, probably 17 different places I looked. And for whatever reason, I went back to the second place and it has though the document fairy had been there and went 
Oh, yeah, you look long enough. I opened the drawer, and there was the envelope. The envelope I knew I was looking for. And I don't know, sometimes you're, you just you cannot see for looking. And there it was. So I have the uh, birth certificates. I do not have to get new ones. They're expensive to replace. They're about 145 bucks each if you have to do it on a oh rush. I would make an argument that it's because you're a man that you couldn't find that. that but that would be the wrong road to go down. Whoa, whoa. Well, hey, hold on a second. <laughs> Kelly Moore back in the Said studio. With she who always loses her purse. <laughs> Like, while I'm holding it, I lose my purse. Does anyone see my purse? Ren, you're holding it. What Jeff Broad and I want to know is how many naughty words for each of the locations did uh, Mr. Mackling utter while he was looking for the passport ports? I suspect you gentlemen would be surprised to learn I kept my cool. I was very, very calm throughout the entire process. I just kept moving on to the next spot. I was just more perplexed than anything else. So I think you'd be uh, proud of me, Jeff Braun. I didn't use any bad words. I would be proud of you if I believed you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's no uh, photographic or video evidence to state otherwise, so I'm sticking with my story. Does everybody have a place in their home or apartment that they, like, uh, my husband makes fun of me all the time, and I joke about it being a man thing, because when I can't find something, or he can't find something, he always says, Oh, did you put it in your, quote, safekeeping spot? Like I always say, I'm putting this away for safekeeping, and then I completely forget where I've where I put it. So you the, have a spot, Jeff? Oh, yeah. The important stuff goes in one specific drawer. If it's something I'm going to use, honestly, in the next three or four months, I just leave it on the kitchen table. Oh, that's, see, that's, that's so annoying. That's like, what happens. If I was going I would, on a trip at Christmas time, I would put my passport on the kitchen table tonight. <laughs> and there it would stay. Yep. What about oh, keys? What about like when you lose your keys? I, I keep my keys in the same spot, but it's like when you don't put it there and you're panicking. You're like, I'm late for work. Where are my keys? That's the worst. That is the worst. That's why you have two sets of keys. Yeah, I, I, oh, I do. But, uh... You could argue that you could put them in a drawer, but I would never put them in the same drawer. Or I, I even have a file cabinet. I tried to get more organized, and the things aren't filed properly. Like I just, I don't. I don't know what the answer is for my safekeeping. Let me ask uh, the, to the people who wear glasses. Many of us wear them. Uh, I have a pair of glasses, and sometimes I'll I'll be looking around like I can't find my glasses. They're on your head. They're on my face. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wearing them. Does that ever happen? Any of you? Uh, that I, happens occasionally. Yeah, if you're as blind as about as I am, <laughs> you know when you don't have your glasses on. <laughs> my, my go-to spot for glasses is to leave them in the bathroom because I know eventually I will make my way there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't leave them on the kitchen table? No. <laughs> Kelly, you're you're one of the most organized people I know. What's your system for keeping documents and things that you might need in a you know safely stowed? Well, we we make our annual pilgrimage to Mexico. Although my wife is flying to uh, Kamloops on Friday, uh, so I dug out her passport and it's always in her uh, trademark orange fanny pack, which is kept inside the big blue suitcase, which is kept inside the closet of the guest room. So it's not oh. quite as sophisticated as uh, Jeff Braun's kitchen table, but you know. <laughs> The fact that you can say exactly where it is uh, is very, very impressive to me. Uh, yeah, I could have saved have you a lot of grief yesterday. Thanks, thanks, Kelly. I'm going to go for the. Is it the the fanny pack inside the suitcase? Inside the closet. Inside the closet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah. okay, I'm just. I just want to make sure what the system is. <laughs> Got it. What is the issue that's top of mind for you? Is it crime? Is it health care? Is it taxes? Taxes seems to be a big one that keeps coming up with Winnipeggers and Manitobans, whether that be your personal task, income, or if you're a business. And to get more on just what the business community is feeling, we're joined by Chuck Davidson, Manitoba Chambers. There we go. Plural mm-hmm. of commerce. I always want to drop the S. It, it, well, it's like the uh, Game 7, right, of the Stanley Cup, uh, the historical facts and statistics around multiple games seven you see the s sometimes goes in the wrong place sons-in-law versus son-in-laws that sort of thing you know that sort of thing it's because you represent how many chambers 71 chambers of commerce in the province so where is or is the community feeling on as we approach this election in terms of what they would like to see well well we talk to our businesses on on an ongoing basis when i travel around the province there's two issues that always come up with with business owners one is how competitive are we in Manitoba from a business standpoint and how what's the ease of doing business? What are some of the challenges that make us uncompetitive? And secondly is workforce. 
in terms of how do we address the workforce challenges throughout Manitoba because there's not a business I visit, there's not a community I go to that they don't talk to me about we either can't find the workers we need or we can't find workers with the right skill sets. So what we're going to be looking for in this campaign is which of the three parties is going to most address what we think is the most important thing, which is growing Manitoba's economy. And there's key elements underneath that in terms of creating that tax competitiveness is going to be extremely important to us. So one of the things that we've been calling for is we're looking for a tax review. We haven't had a tax review of the system in Manitoba in close to 30 years. Mm -hmm. And looking at it from the perspective of, is it going to be fair? Is it going to be simple? But most importantly, is it going to be competitive? Because when you talked about that specifically, personal income taxes in Manitoba are not competitive with other jurisdictions, and that's problematic. Do you think that's uh, reducing the opportunity for Manitoba to attract workers from other parts of Canada? Because Manitoba's economy on whole is doing as well or better than most economies across across the country so is that one of the things that may is making us less attractive to workers from outside one of the challenges and i've always said this if you actually if, if you're a young person that's just got your degree and you're going to decide where do i want to start my career it doesn't matter where in canada you're going to go there's always a need for workers but if you do your homework and start looking at where am i going to earn the most money and where do i keep the most money it's not in Manitoba. The top tax bracket in Manitoba starts at $68,000. You're taxed at 17.4%. The top tax bracket in Saskatchewan starts at $129,000, and it's less than 17.4%. So you're earning more. They've got a lower PST than we do in Manitoba. So from that perspective, then you take into account simple things like the basic personal exemption, which is the amount that you're able to earn before you be, start becoming taxed. In Manitoba, it's about $9,500. Saskatchewan is $17,000. So you've got these huge differences. Then you take into account from a small business perspective. If I'm a small business, and these are the kind of businesses we're always encouraging, we want them to grow, we want them to continue to uh, you know, be the backbone of the Manitoba economy. When you get to a size of $1.25 million in your payroll, you pay a payroll tax. Right. So you're punished in Manitoba. And before Other provinces anyone, don't have that. $1.25 million is still a small business. It's still a small if business. People hear millions and they like to think, well, you know, so the it's business like, is the, doing really that's well. A well that's, that's, that's a total payroll. That's a total payroll for a company. For a year. Exactly. Think about that. That's yep. not a, a tremendous And what happens, it's, it's, it's basically a $40,000 tax bill. Right. So that's well, the difference well, between uh, having it's, uh, it's, six it's another employee. employees or seven exactly. employees. And right? so what we're saying is let's do a review of the tax system. Overall, let's look at everything to make sure that we're competitive. We're not going to fix it overnight. And what we're not suggesting is we need to slash the payroll tax and get rid of it over one year. Right. What we're suggesting, this is multi-year. But we need to get in the game and make sure that we're catching up and looking at things from that competitive The lens. Premier, when he was the leader of the opposition, always insisted that when Manitoba got, it, got its financial house in order, that competitiveness broadly speaking, would bring economic prosperity to the province. Are we starting to see any benefits from the, the, the provincial Tories and their, and their economic platform and, and what they're doing? What, what we see from what they've been doing is that the strategies that we've been calling for for so long are starting to become in place. And so you're starting to see you know, increased uh, investment in places like Portage. Companies like Roquette are making investments. There is investment happening in places like northern Manitoba we weren't seeing before. Uh, that, that doom and gloom that we used to see in a lot of parts of the province is starting to go away. But it's not to the point where people are all excited and willing to make that investment. There's still more to be done. So that's why we're saying this election, it's, it's great to where we're, we've got to. We need to take that next step. How do we grow Manitoba's economy even more so than where it is today? What do you say to the argument, though, that when you, when you reduce taxes, you re reduce the dollars coming into the province pockets? And so, for example, with the PST cut, so much of that money went towards roads. Yep. And that's an important part of not just the infrastructure for your province, but the investment for the construction community, for, the, for people in northern Manitoba to know you're going to have those dollars coming back in. So how do you balance that? I was driving in this morning and thinking about the construction that was underway on my route and wondering, would this be here? Well, I see this next year if we're yep. removing those dollars from government coffers. And these are the decisions the government has to make. And so that's why we're saying that infrastructure has to be a key part of this as well. So anything that's going to help stimulate the economy and create greater economic development, that's where investments need to be made as well. So we're not just saying, you know, just lower taxes and keep that money and not do anything with it. What it needs to be strategic in terms of how we invest things and encouraging and putting more money in people's pockets, they're going to put that money back into the economy as well. We've often had the conversation about promoting what Manitoba has to offer. Uh, tourism Manitoba, are we spending enough money to promote outside of of our province, uh, come and visit us. 
I know when I lived in Alberta, and I know shortly after I left to come home, Saskatchewan went hog wild in terms of advertising. Come home to Saskatchewan, and it worked for them. Is it time for us to get aggressive and do similar things and invite expats home and convince yeah. other people? It's not the same place you may yeah. have left Correct. 10, 15 well, years it, ago. Well, you know what? And one of the things in Travel Manitoba, in my uh, opinion, has done an unbelievable job in terms of starting to regenerate and trying to bring more people here. And so what we've just done with Travel Manitoba is really develop a tourism strategy, what we did in, in conjunction with them to really have a greater focus on tourism, recognizing that it is an important uh, economic driver in this province, and you, we are starting to see those numbers increase. And it might but, open people's eyes to the idea of moving here, right? Absolutely, in terms of some of the things that we have to opportunity. You know, specifically, and I was talking to a, I was talking to some business owners from northern Manitoba last week uh, and telling me, and, and people, you know, if, if you're interested in fishing and all those kind of things, there's companies in, in, in northern Manitoba looking to hire 80 to 90 people in mining industries, hmm. paying 30 bucks an hour. They can't find people to go up there and work. And so these are real challenges that we have in this province uh, that we need to be able to address. Uh, and I think there's there's huge opportunity that we need to take advantage of. And that's what we're going to be looking for in this election is which of the parties has got the greatest focus in terms of how do we continue to grow that economy. Chuck Davidson is president of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, joining us live on 680 CJOB at 201 Portage. Chuck, always a pleasure. Thanks for the visit. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for the coffee. Loren McNabb, who is sitting to your left? We've got with us the leader of the NDP, leader of the current opposition, Wab Canoe. Thank you so much for coming down. Hey, this thanks morning. for having me. Nicer to be outside, eh? Beautiful morning. Uh, we want to talk about a lot of things this morning. We only have so much time. And first, I want to take off the words you had from day one of your campaign was that you wanted to focus on ideas. And yeah. this would be an idea debate throughout the next four weeks, and that would be where we take it. So before I ask the next question, I do want to play the ad that's now been circulating around that has some calling that doesn't necessarily focus much on ideas, but on uh, more a person. All right, so Jeff Forte, if you please. Seriously, who looks at healthcare and thinks, you know what, we need even less of this helping people stuff. Let's fire a bunch of nurses. Let's close a bunch of ERs. I mean, who does that? Brian Pallister, that's who. I don't know who he's working for, but it isn't us. What an app. Our roads are such a disaster. And you know why? Brian Pallister. He cut the roads budget by 40%. I mean, who's he working for? Such a... Okay, so the word at the end of that has been bleeped out by car door slams or honking of horns or sirens or other. But just for our listeners' perspective, the word is ASS. So it's personally attacking uh, Brian Palster. Does that still focus on ideas as far as you're concerned, Mr. Canoe? Yeah, those two ads focus on uh, two of the major issues we hear about every day on the doorstep. The first being health care and all the cuts that uh, people are pretty upset by, losing emergency rooms, having less nurses at the bedside. And then the second one is roads. I think every summer Manitobans are frustrated, especially when you drive by a project like the underpass on Pemina, which seems to have been under construction for years, and I still can't see the progress that's going on there. And so we're putting these ideas, we're having a little fun with it, for sure we are, but at the end of the day we're highlighting ideas that are important in the campaign. Let's fix our roads, let's fix our health care. But we got to, uh, just want to read this text message on the subject of this ad. While the word may not be a swear word, I don't think it's necessary to use it or any other slang or swear words. There are plenty other words you can use. Be professional. So do you think that going that route is going to... Because I, I find it to be a distraction from the message that you're trying to get across. Well, I think you're talking about the ad this morning. And so as a result, we're talking about healthcare. We're talking about roads. So one of the challenges we have, especially coming from opposition, is we got to get our message out and we got to find ways to get noticed. So we're going to be doing that with a lot of the ideas. Today we've got a great announcement that is going to help it make it easier for people suffering from cancer, people who need health care in Manitoba, just be able to get the quality of care that they need. So we're going to do a lot of things like that. But also, this is a social media game. This is an advertising game. And to be honest, sometimes you you got to you gotta have some fun to get noticed. There have been personal attacks against you, your character, and your past Definitely. from the opposition. And so that seems to be the focus for sorry, coming from the current government, the conservatives, yeah. to the opposition. And so that seems to be this attack game that's already being played pretty early on. Well, with the, the government under Mr. Pallister, we know they can't run an election on health care because they've cut it. We know they can't run an election on creating jobs because they fired a lot of people. And so what do they have left? They have personal attacks, right? They have negative uh, campaigning. 
And so the more attack ads you see from the conservatives in this campaign, the more you know that they're feeling vulnerable and that they don't feel like they can defend the decisions that they've made. On our side, as this campaign goes on, we're going to continue ramping up our commitments around health care, around keeping life affordable, and also on creating good jobs in the province. We want to create 50,000 good jobs by investing in infrastructure and fixing roads in the province. You know, you, you mentioned health care and, and the cutbacks or the changes in priorities, depending on what side of the discussion you might use different language. You're insisting that there have been job losses and job cuts. The government may push back on that. One thing I want to commend you for is the idea that you, you came up with an actual number on this promise to reopen the ERs, $8 million. Why are you so sure you can do it for that number, and why do you think reopening those ERs are exactly what's needed? Well, first off, I just want to say I've heard the message from Manitobans loud and clear that they want us to have a plan, but also a plan to pay for it. Sure. And so that's why we put our platform out fully costed right away last week before the writ even dropped. Don't make promises if you don't have the numbers to back we got to be realistic, right? And we got to live within our means. But still, I think we can make better decisions than what we're seeing from the current government. So when it comes to the emergency rooms, this isn't just about undoing a move that Pallister made just for the sake of undoing something Mr. Pallister did. Right now, because of all these closures and the cuts, we're down bed spaces across the Winnipeg region. We're about 128 beds short of where we need to be. Less beds means less room for patients to get care when they show up in an emergency room. You can fill in the blanks from there. That's why the wait times are going up. That's why the waiting rooms are so crowded. So what's the best way for us to add beds? Well, for me, we got these two emergency rooms sitting empty right now at Concordia and Seven Oaks. If we bring those back online carefully, responsibly, hiring back the nurses, training some new ones, and opening those centers back up when it's safe to do so, that's one of the most cost-efficient and quick ways that we can get more capacity in our system for health care to care for people when they need it here in Manitoba. With that, there will be people that say, but the system wasn't working before and these changes are needed or change is needed. What, what that might look like might depend on who you ask. And also some people arguing, well, have we given it enough time to see if the changes make sense? Concordia just happened. Seven Oaks just happened. Does it make sense to turn back the, t- turn back the clock, so to speak, on something so recent? Change is needed. And we are, throughout this campaign, going to be talking about a lot of new ideas for how we even move earlier on to people's lives and do things like prevention. Keep people healthy so that they don't even have to go to the ER in the first place. However, we have to remember that even the government's own expert, Dr. Peachy, came in a few months ago and he said they're moving way too fast. They're not paying attention. They're not listening to the people on the front lines. They should pause with this plan before they go any further. The response from Mr. Pallister to hearing that they should pause and that they're rushing was to rush even faster. They moved the Concordia closure up. They moved the Seven Oaks closure up. So it's clear that this plan has gone off the rails in a number of ways. We're saying let's stop and stabilize the situation. We don't want ERs to get any worse in Manitoba. In terms of fixing the system, making it better, this is maybe the first time you're going to hear an NDP leader say, we are going to reduce management in the healthcare system. The management is what's bloated. What's not bloated? Care at the bedside. Let's cut from the management. Let's reinvest it with the nurses, with the people who deliver the health care directly to you, the patient. Manitoba NDP leader Wab Canoe joining us live on location at 201 Portage for Decision 2019. Your voice matters. Wab, thank you very much for this. Thank you so much. Greg, right now it's time to get on the bus. Yeah, I think do we lump into, and maybe we don't do it enough in this part of the world, and that's to combine the idea of infrastructure and transit spending because... I think we can all agree, if you've traveled anywhere else, if you go to another city of a million people, Winnipeg is way behind in terms of public transportation. And I'm going to uh, read this. Out-of-date public transit isn't just an inconvenience. It's a drain on productivity, economic growth, tourism, and the well-being of the people who depend on it. That's the opinion of Marco D'Angelo, President and CEO of the Canadian Urban Transit Association, and he joins us now. Good morning, Marco. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? We're doing really well. Why don't you talk a little bit about that statement that you wrote in the op-ed piece that was published in the Winnipeg Sun earlier this week? I think it's a powerful statement. Uh, Why do you say what you say? Well, what we're, we're, we're saying is that uh, transit is the most 
phase-efficient way to move large numbers of people. So it's especially true when it comes to large cities like Winnipeg. Uh, you think about the future of the region of Winnipeg over the next 25 years, uh, we expect that nearly one million people will call Winnipeg home. So to your point, uh, Winnipeg is a growing city, uh, and therefore uh, we're saying we need greater investment in these types of important services and infrastructure, especially public transit, to support a thriving, growing Winnipeg over the next generation. Is there an overall strategy on that front, Marco, that that you are endorsing at your association? We, we're moving towards opening the, finally, finally, the completion of that Southwest Rapid Transit Corridor. It's a bu- dedicated busway. I don't need to educate you on it. But frequency is coming up, dependability. Uh, we're in the middle of a, of a, of a situation where we could have a lockout and or a strike of uh, transit operators in Winnipeg, the first since 1976. So that relationship is tenuous. And out of that conversation, we're hearing that as many as 43% of buses are not on time in Winnipeg. Well, what problems does that cause for people that are using transit? Well, certainly transit uh, has its challenges in the city of Winnipeg. We commissioned a, a poll earlier this year where 29% of uh, respondents in Winnipeg think that public transit could be better developed in their area. Uh, more than half of respondents say uh, transit infrastructure in their community is old and out of date. So certainly I think the public is in the right place in thinking that uh, improving transit infrastructure across Winnipeg is a top priority. Uh, in fact, 8 out of 10 agreed that public transit would help to reduce congestion uh, in Winnipeg. And Winnipeg is, has one of the longest uh, commute times uh, in Canada. So it, it, Winnipeg has many of the transportation challenges that bigger cities face. And so we're calling on uh, the federal government to begin to uh, invest directly into operational funding. And we think that will help uh, cities like Winnipeg provide better service to their residents. When you talk about that longest commute time, that, that kind of caught me off guard. One of the longest commute times in Canada, I, I think of bigger communities like Toronto and Vancouver, where people got to drive in for hours at a time. What, what, do, do, what is the time, if you're saying that Winnipeg has one of the longest times? Do you have that number? I do. Our, uh, our survey showed that uh, the respondents told us that the average commute time in Winnipeg was about 64 minutes, and that was only three minutes behind uh, Calgary and a few more minutes behind uh, Toronto, which I, I believe was at uh, 68 or 69 minutes. So what we're seeing is is that uh, no matter where you live, the jo- that we that com- cities can do a better job at link at a better job at linking uh, where people work, uh, play, and go to school. And transit provides uh, a, a critical uh, solution uh, to that because it connects our communities. You mentioned the need for more federal investment and. Piggybacking on the idea of commute times, I'm someone who has about a 45-minute commute. I live just mm-hmm. south of a city, but I've often said if they had a proper uh, corridor that I could hop on or, or a train or what, whatever it might be, I would be more than willing to park my car and get on that if the service was there. The problem is after spending almost half a billion dollars just on this one leg of a rapid transit, we still have five more legs to go. So we're talking billions of dollars. And it, people keep thinking, well, that's too much time and too much money. Just keep improving the roads. So you have an attitude problem. But you also raised the question of investment. Why does it just fall on the federal government to put these dollars in? Where are the provinces playing a role in this? Well, as, as a national association, um, you know, we're calling, and with a federal election coming up, uh, we're, we're calling on the federal political leaders to step up uh, and provide what they, what they can do best, which is providing large investments in capital. Uh, and help transit systems that have rising operating costs. Now, of course, with a provincial election underway, uh, certainly the, the provincial leaders uh, can also come to the table and, uh, and look at how they're, op- how they're funding the operations of transit. But when it comes to the large capital projects, uh, you know, we've seen across the country that having the federal government there as a funding partner uh, really helps to get uh, the job uh, started. Are we out of date here in Winnipeg in terms of the mode of transit that we're developing? Obviously, New Flyer is based here in Winnipeg, and we love our buses in Winnipeg, but should we be looking at light rail in Winnipeg? 
Well, it's a very interesting question. Actually, this morning I got off the phone uh, just earlier. There was an, an investor call for uh, for New Flyer for their second quarter. And, you know, it's really interesting that uh, that there's 3,000 direct, directly employed people in the city of uh, in the Win- greater Winnipeg area that uh, work for New Flyer. And, of course, uh, with the uh, they've just purchased a, a U.K. bus manufacturer. So now Winnipeg is really home to uh, the largest independent uh, bus manufacturer. Uh, and so that's, I think, a really uh, big feather in the economic cap for Winnipeg. So I, I think certainly the bus network can always be improved. Certainly the number of vehicles on the road, frequency of service you raised earlier, I think all of those are things that can really supercharge uh, ridership and uh, help to, to change the modal shift. Uh, larger projects like rail certainly are always, uh, they, they, those help to move vast numbers of people uh, quickly, but those, as to your point earlier, those do take time and uh, take large uh, commitments of resources. Continue our election coverage. We're going to be down here all day talking about the issues that matter to you, and we want to hear from you. We've got uh, the y- YVB. The YVB. Your, your voice booth set up to come on down. Share with us what is the number one issue for you. Are you talking about taxes? Is it education? Is it health care? Is it crime? We're going to be speaking to all the leaders. We had Bob Canoe, leader of the NDP, on just after 8. Uh, we know the Green Party is coming up in Hal's show in the afternoon, and of course we're working to get Brian Pallister on as well. Joining us now is Liberal Leader. Dugold Lamont. Thanks for coming down. Oh, thank you. When you go door to door, let's just start yep. with the issues. Is there one overriding theme you're hearing from Manitobans? Uh, I would say there's more than one. Uh, health is a big one. Uh, I've had more than one person say that what Brian Pallister is doing to hospitals is a crime. Um, <laughs> and the other is, uh, and, and the other actually is, is is public safety and crime, is that there are a lot of people, especially in St. Boniface, where I represent, uh, it, it's property crime. It's people getting their bikes stolen and chopped up, break-ins, um, the violence. I mean, people are really concerned about that and the meth crisis. We had a story on just after 6.30. I had gone down to talk to a couple of folks who are going to run a crime forum in early September to try to address the issue. They want to bring in a citizens on patrol group yep. to try to tackle the issue from the ground and saying that they can't wait for politicians to do nope. something because I believe the spike in property crime in St. Boniface was the worst in the city last year, up 55%. Yep. So you as a leader, if elected, what do you do to fix that? I know there's a meth issue, yeah. but how do you how do you change in terms of policy something that would help lower crime and get it back to where it used to be? Well, there a large part of this, as as the chief of police have said, is being driven by by meth. So you have people who are um, addicted to meth who are stealing metal and basically selling it off in order to support their um, to support their habit. Uh, we have to break. There is a way, and we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be about breaking that, preventing, uh, making it harder for people to sell off that metal. But look, one of the one of the things we have to have is that people with addictions have to have a place to go. And right now, that that really is not the case. There have been big cuts to mental health and big cuts to addictions. So we've said first, first things first, we need to have prevention. The the province hasn't put any money into prevention, uh, whether it's ads, billboards, no matter what, going out into schools, telling kids about the dangers of meth and but not taking it. Uh, we need genuine anti-gang intervention, and all the <laughs> and the PC government has uh, cancelled a ton of community programs. Um, but we also need to make sure. Look, we've got crime. You've got people, sort of criminals and career criminals, people with mental health problems, and then there are people with addictions. And you need to treat criminals in the justice system, and you need to treat people with mental health and addictions in the in in the healthcare system. So we would create new beds for people to um, to get treatment. Extend treatment times, because right now people are going in and, you know, they have 21 days and they're expected to be perfectly clean and go straight back, and that's not realistic. Um, and then have supportive housing uh, after that. And, you know, people go, well, that sounds like a lot of money, or why are we treating people this way? The fact is, if you look at how much it costs, uh, it costs $1,000 a day um, to keep somebody in a hospital. It's $500 a day to keep somebody in jail, and it's 30 bucks a day for housing. So... Uh, well, if you you're know, actually providing these things, it works much better. You know you're going to get asked this repeatedly in this campaign, though. So how many beds and what would that cost? Let's just start right there because people have been writing repeatedly this morning, no matter the leader, yeah, yeah. let's not make promises without a concrete plan and how we're going to pay for it. Yeah. Well, look, I, I... Do we have the beds and dollar number sorted out yet? We don't have the exact number, but I mean, part of this is we have to actually talk with, with officials to make sure that we're... Uh, that 
the, what the demand is. We do know that there are, uh, look, one of the things we have is we have to bring those wait lists down. We have to add a specific, we'll have to add beds and we have, but I mean, this is, one of the things is that it's action, <laughs> what politicians uh, should do is come up with policy in the big picture. And ultimately it's up to governments and people in power to to, to develop the details of the plan. Um, but the fact is, is that there's $400 million that's available for mental health care that the, the federal government handed to the province and the province put off signing that deal for over a year. So that money has been flowing to other provinces. The question of whether there's money there or not, there is money there. It's there's $400 million. It's $40 million a year for 10 years, for uh, every year for the next 10 years. And the Palestine government has refused to refused to even take it. So um, we, we, um, we are absolutely committed to uh, doing something about this. And the other, but it's important to realize that the money is there. With the Liberal leader, Dugald Lamont, uh, this is a significant election for the Liberal Party in the sense that you tech, it's, a, it's a handful of seats, but it's more seats than you've had in yep. years. You're so popularity would be presumed to be rising, but <laughs> even at a lower level. How do you cut through the noise of an election that consistently year after year uh, or election after election has been painted as a, as a two-horse race? Well, I mean, part of it is to let people know that there is a real option. Um, and part of it is by talking about big issues and uh, and having a plan for them. I mean, yesterday we, I mean, we re-released, we have a major climate plan to talk about what we can do for Manitoba. We could, uh, it's by far the boldest and most ambitious plan of any of the parties out there. And Brian Falster announced uh, a bit of money off your uh, vehicle registration and, um, and the NDP announced that they were going to train 75 nurses. Uh, the fact is that there are a bunch of big issues that have been left uh, really just been neglected for years, sometimes decades under under both parties. I, and part of it is to, for, for us is to say, look, <laughs> there are all sorts of ways in which the NDP and the PCs really are not that different. There's a reason why people are frustrated in Manitoba and feel that it doesn't matter who gets elected, nothing changes. Um, and even the fact that they have the same slogans I thought was kind of funny. It, it actually <laughs> says, what does it say about them that they... <laughs> moving Manitoba forward. Moving Man- yeah, moving Manitoba. Uh, yeah, where well, the, NDP, could... the, the NDP weren't exactly moving Manitoba forward in 2016. And that was and their <laughs> slogan in 2016. Now in 2019, yeah. PC's logo, moving Manitoba forward. But that could be the re- heard maybe, maybe it's their carbon tax plan. Maybe that, that's their environmental plan. They're just, you know, recycling. They're being yeah, environmentally yeah. No, no, that's true. Yeah, friendly. Yeah, but th- this whole idea, you know, I'm someone who's moved away from uh, Nobody loves Winnipeg and Manitoba as much as I do, but even I have moved away, not once, twice, but three sure. times, looking for different opportunities, frustrated with how Winnipeg, it felt at different times, was not moving forward. Yeah. And a lot of the, the big conversations seem to be the same 30 years later. The NDP pointing at the Conservatives, you're cutting health care, and the PCs pointing fingers at NDP, you spend too much money. Yeah. But that's, that, there's no vision no. there about what's possible. Yeah. What do you see as the vision of what's possible for Manitoba over the next decade? Well, because that's, I've moved away too, right? I lived, I lived in uh, Toronto, and then in 1998, I came back and had a visit. Um, my dad was wasn't well, but he had such an incredible support from the community. I, I was just blown away, and it was, I just, this is such an amazing community. We have amazing values. There are things here that happen that don't happen anywhere else, and this is a place. It's not just that it needs to be protected; it deserves to thrive. Like this is this, these are the sort of values and ideas that should be promoted, and that there's a huge amount of opportunity in in this province, whether it's in Winnipeg or whether it's all across all across the province. And but we don't give people the opportunity to succeed in the way we we should, in part because of what you're talking about. The the, the PCs and the NDP, it's not they spend all their time blaming each other. Um, and pointing the finger, and they don't look forward. But the other is that even when they're in power, you know, they seem to be focused on not just on you know rewarding their own friends, but on punishing their opponents. And you, you can't you can't run a government where you're spending half your time punishing half the population. <laughs> but that seems to be that seems to be what's happened. And for us, one of our visions is to say we need to have a government that works for everyone. It doesn't matter whether you've been PC, NDP, Green, no matter what, Liberal. Um, that we want you to succeed. I don't want you to win the next election, but I still want you to succeed no matter what your political views are. And that seems to be something that the Premier has an issue with. Um, but part of it is we want to make sure that there are good jobs. So we proposed a Manitoba Business Development Bank for entrepreneurs. Uh, we're going to invest in infrastructure um, to make sure, especially creative infrastructure, uh, because it's a huge uh, it's a huge business and in, in, huge industry in Manitoba. And some of it is about g- making sure that 
giving people back control uh, to a certain degree. We've talked about that in healthcare as well. Um, a lot of it is about letting, uh, having a grassroots uh, growth and growing from the ground up instead of having everything super controlled from the center, which is what both the PCs and NDP have done. Manitoba Liberal Leader Dugald Lamont joining us live on 680 CJOB at 201 Portage. Mr. Lamont, thank you very much for this. Oh, thank you. We want to switch gears here to close the show, guys. Loren, Greg, last month, the Mac and Cheese Festival took place at the Forks. You guys did a segment on it. I was off that week. But I came in that day, had to record the couch potatoes, and I got here when the Mac and Cheese people were at the station. And I saw that they didn't bring you guys food. No. Which, which I no. got to be honest, most right. disappointing Hashtag day of the year. Fail. So when our guest now reached out to us, I seized the opportunity to right this wrong. Carpe diem, Brett McGarry. She is the People's Choice winner for Best Tasting Food at the 2019 Mac and Cheese Festival. She's been seen on the Food Network, and her restaurant is opening soon. It's going to be called Miss Christine's Kitchen. Miss Christine is here, and she brought food. Miss Christine, what a delightful way to close out our show. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys replying back to me and giving me an opportunity to explain about my new venture in the city. Well, I'm going to start out with saying that I'm from Jamaica and I'm an immigrant in this country for the last 30 years. And I've been cooking uh, from 2001. Um, That was to supplement income because I was on social assistance for a while. So this was a way to make extra money. And I used to cook from government housing. I'm not ashamed to say that because I'm not doing that anymore. I used to cook food from housing and people would come and pick food up and that's how I would make my income. So after a while I quit and my husband kept telling me, why don't you sell food? Why don't you open up a restaurant? And I kept saying, it takes too much time to run a restaurant because if you don't have the passion behind it, it's not going to work. And I didn't want to start something and finish. And back then I wasn't ready to do anything with the restaurant. But this October passed, I just decided, you know what, we're running broke again. My husband hurts his shoulder. Things are not great. I'm going to start doing what I love to do. So I started cooking again, and I was surprised that old customers from before kept flooding back, and also new customers keep coming. So where were you selling from, or was it people just coming to grab no, dishes? No, I was or? actually selling from my home, but I never got into trouble. Well, I don't care now because I'm not cooking <laughs> from my home now. I got a legitimate place to cook, so hey. Anyway, so How, as how I'm many s- people in this city have bought pierogies or yes, cabbage rolls lots, or something yes, from somebody who cooks yes. in their kitchen? So, so. But I'm glad that I have the opportunity now to get a restaurant. But let's talk about the food thing. So let's talk about the, the can we talk about the award winner? Yes, of both all? of them. It's the mac and cheese poppers and the jerk chicken. That's the both of them that won for the best tasting at the 2019 mac and cheese festival. It was a good um, thing. Wish there was more people. But it was really nice, and I felt good because I went up against some big guys like Brazen Hall mm-hmm. and uh, Blue Hazen and Kaya Grill and all of those fancy people. And here's this little old Christine just, like, kicking ass over there, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was nice. And even the guys that own Brazen Hall, they came and supported me. They bought my food. They were like, oh, man, this is, like, really good. How, what, you know, how did you cook it, blah, blah, blah. So I told them that I used pimento leaves because you can't have authentic Jamaican food unless you're using authentic ingredients. So this is my pimento jerk chicken, which won for best tasting, and the jerk mac and cheese poppers. And I also brought you guys uh, Jamaican jerk chicken roti and some rice and beans, that what white folks call it, but we call it rice and peas. <laughs> so, and then I brought my special sauce, which is, uh, it's called Jamaican baby. So it's really good. You have to try it. I, we are excited to try like it. It is so me. good. I don't, I'm not tooting my own horn. The people toot it, and I just drag it, you know. so. <laughs> you know, we've been lamenting the fact that there's lack of personality often in our leadership and in those running in politics. You are lacking in neither confidence Thank you. nor charisma nope, nope, or character. Nope, nope. And so talk about where did you get this confidence to take this next step? Because I'm an entrepreneur at yes. heart. And the idea of going from selling a few dishes here and there on the down low, quiet to your neighbors, there's different step to going to physical location. 
Listen, I'm Jamaican, and we're born hustlers, okay? It, we don't have opportunities like folks here in Canada have it, you know. Here you have to go and get a license to do this and do that. We don't have nothing to go get no license, okay? We have a house. We start cooking from our house. Yeah. We go get a couple beers. We start selling beers right from our house. That's how it is. But the government always have to come and do the money-grabbing thing. It's always about grabbing the money from the small people. But now I'm going to have to give them back because I got a restaurant, so they're going to get their taxes and all of that stuff. But you have to learn how to hustle when you're Jamaican. If, Like I said, with this little restaurant that's going to be located inside the Chalet Hotel, not teasers. I have to clear that up <laughs> because people always have the misconception when I said the Chalet. Oh, you mean a strip club? No, I don't mean a strip club. I mean in the hotel you go in through the lobby, and I'm to the right, and it's Miss Christine's Kitchen, and it's only authentic Jamaican food, no fusions. There is no infusion in my food, so if you're going to come there to get some French fry and some chicken fingers, please don't come, because you're not <laughs> going to get it. So what's the address here? It's 611 Archibald, located inside the Chalet Hotel. So if you want Jamaican food like oxtail, escovitch fish, jerk chicken, jerk fish, um, curry chicken, curry goat, manish water, soup that's made from a goat head, you know, I, like I want I mean. all of these things. Yeah, maybe not know, that last one, but yeah, chicken You'd feet, cow foot, I like grew up all those with things. All this stuff. My stepdad's yeah. from St. Kitts, and I know there's a little bit of a rivalry there, and the and the way that that Catitians and and other uh, Caribbean islands cook. It's different island to island, right? Yes, it is. And so, talk about real quick the, the idea of. Do you think people in Winnipeg are ready for another option? Oh, please. They're dying for this. Okay? The people are dying for my food. I'm the buzz right now. Before I even won the Macaroni and Cheese Festival, all my customers, like I, I had a customer that donated money to me to actually pay for the registration. I had a lady come from nowhere that sponsored me for the festival. She never ate meat. And because of me, she tried my oxtail and she tried my chicken because she wanted to know where her money was going and what people was talking about. Listen, I just need for you guys to try this. I'm not going to say nothing more. Try it. And if you don't like it, you can just tell people on the air. I'm flopping my beak, okay. but my beak is good. Try it. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got about one minute and you left. Have to, yes, Let me try, try one it with the sauce now. Mm-hmm. Can you pass me those poppers, Greg? Put some sauce on the chicken oh and give your honest opinion. Okay. All right. Here we go. Chicken and then you have to put this on the popper. Okay. Chicken has so much flavor. It's Thank moist. You. Well, it's almost like it's... Does this need... This has so much flavor, I don't know that I want the even. sauce. But no. no, try... Oh, my God. Okay. You have the macaroni one? That's the macaroni popper? Yeah. Yeah. When is no. the restaurant open? It's going to open next week. <laughs> look oh my. at your faces. No. <laughs> this is so good. Oh, my God. Look at their faces. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Christine's Just kitchen. Listening to us swallow and chew right now. It so opens you next see, week. so you see, I am not tooting my nope. horn. The nope. food is amazing, it and is this amazing. is real Jamaican food. What's the name of the sauce? It's again? called Jamaican Baby. We gotta go, Miss Christine. Thank you so much for coming to my see pleasure. us. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.